as always, to get to share God's Word with you this morning. And we're at a pretty fun passage here. This is a climactic passage for Matthew as he's gone through a bit of a a spring of miracles here, where he's just kind of hitting us back to back to back with these miracle accounts that Jesus is performing. And we get to these final two miraculous accounts that Jesus did, and we finally get to see, once again, how the people react to these miracles that Jesus is doing. And there's been kind of a theme throughout so far this morning. We keep talking about eyes and being uh, the blind being able to see or opening our eyes to who Jesus is. And you might think there's only one account of blindness in this story, but it's really two. And we're going to talk about the two accounts of blindness that we see in here. First, we're going to talk about blind faith. And then we're going to talk about blind hearts and who had those. And so to start out, though, I want to talk about who had blind faith. Now, when many people try to visualize faith, which I recognize the irony in saying visualizing faith after I said blind faith, um, but they a lot of times will imagine a scene similar to what we see in one of the most you know, famous movies of all time, right? Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, Raise your hand if you've ever seen that movie before, Indiana Jones, right? It's a classic. People love good old Indy, right? My wife has not seen it. She has not seen any movies, but that's okay. I love her anyway. Um, But there's that scene in Indiana Jones where he's trying to get the, the Holy Grail, right? And it's a big emergency. It's a hurry. He's following his notes, following a path, and he goes through a cave and comes out of the exit, and he sees the other side of his path he needs to get to, but there's a problem. There's a giant open chasm in between where he is and where he needs to go. And there's just a big gap. There's no way to get across. And he looks at it and says, this kind of jump would be impossible. But he's thinking, I have no other option. I've got to make it to this other side. I've got to find this treasure. And he looks at his notes and he sees a picture in the notes of someone walking across the nothingness. And I love the line, Indy looks down at his notes and he stares into that void and he says, it's a leap of faith. (laughs) And he says it so sad, (laughs) right? He's, He's upset that he has to take this leap of faith, right? And so what does he do? It's that great moment, he stands over the chasm and he puts his foot out and he steps down and what happens? He falls to his death and the credit rolls, right? No, although I just realized my mic is not on, let me do that. The sound crew is silently yelling at me. There you go. I got it. No, he doesn't fall. He steps down, and he steps on an invisible bridge. And he finds out that there was a bridge there all along. He just couldn't see it. And so he walks across, and he is safe. Now, over the years, I've heard many people, even those with good intentions, try to use this as an example of what our faith in Jesus should be like. That you should just have to take a leap of faith. But I want to tell us, church, that that is not what our faith in God and our faith in Jesus should actually be like. That type of blind faith is not biblical. See, um, many people will call that blind faith, but they go about that wrong. See, Indiana Jones had no idea if his step would actually work. He simply had no choice. For him, he really didn't know what was going to happen. He said, well, if I don't make it, it's all hopeless anyway, (laughs) so I'm going to step out. 
See, it was a big risk to him. And when we call following Jesus a blind faith like that, we kind of make Jesus sound like a promising investment deal, (laughs) right? There's a high chance that following him will have a huge payoff, but it's also pretty risky, you know? What if following Jesus doesn't work out? Is it really worth it? But listen, that's not what actual faith is supposed to look like. Before we dive into what these two blind men actually did, let's look at what the Bible itself describes as faith. The most famous passage about faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where it says this. And listen to these words that the writer of Hebrews uses to describe this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Now think about those two words for a second. Assurance and conviction. Faith in Jesus is not meant to be wishful thinking or some kind of risky venture. Faith in Jesus, I I found this from a, a commentator. I thought this was worded very well. Faith is a practical confidence in the power of Jesus. See, for Indiana Jones, he was just literally taking a leap of faith. For us, even if we can't physically see Jesus in the moment, if I step out in faith with him, it's not, oh man, I really hope Jesus has got my back here. It's, hey, I'm stepping out into something I, don't, I can't fully see yet because I know Jesus has got my back. I'm doing this because I am assured of the promises that God has made in His Word. I'm stepping out because of the conviction in my heart, at the very core of my being, that Jesus is Lord. Amen? That's what faith is. So let's look at what these two blind men do and show their faith here. Read with me again in verses 27 through 31. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him. Again, I love Alex pointing out there. It's, I always tell, so for those of you who don't know, I teach middle school Bible um, every week, every, every day of the week as well. And I always tell my students, don't speed read the Bible. <laughs> right? Slow down. Think about every word. It's there on purpose. The Bible gets way more interesting when we slow down. These blind men were following Jesus. <laughs> there's, there's something to think about there, Right? Crying aloud these words, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. Then their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly warned them, seeing that no one see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district. I want us to do a quick exercise together. If everyone would, close your eyes and hear this morning. Now, I'm going to keep talking, and many of you, you can still visualize what I look like. You can still visualize, you know, what my hair looks like. That's easy. <laughs> it's, I have a lot of it, right? But some of you maybe already have forgotten what color my shirt is. Right? Some of you may have already not, you know, not noticed, maybe you saw when I stepped up here while I was singing, what color my shoes are. If I'm wearing a watch today, right? you might not be able to notice these things, but if I were to tell you right now I'm wearing a watch, do you have any reason to doubt me as your pastor? No, even though I just lied to you. <laughs> now, you may open your eyes. 
See, there's something I want us to notice here. Blindness takes away so much from somebody. Especially those of us who can see. We take for granted our sight a lot, don't we? For many of us, even those of us with sight, a lot of us, we are visual learners. And a lot of people in school, a lot of my middle school students, if I just speak to them or read to them from a book, even if their eyes are open, they don't learn it well enough. So I have to show them something visual. What we see is incredibly important. It helps us know. It helps us trust It helps us be able to trust what we're hearing. Again, hopefully you do trust me as one of your pastors here, even though I can lie to you, even when your eyes are closed, that I don't have a watch. I promise I'm not lying other times. Um, I want you to be able to trust me. But I want you to put yourselves a little bit in the shoes of these blind men. These are men that we don't know exactly how long they haven't been able to see, but we're uncomfortable when we close our eyes for even a short period of time. And to think about whether it's been their whole lives or a number of years that these men have not been able to see in a culture that really does not take care of them. (laughs) Nowadays, we at least have a lot of technology and resources to help blind people. These men had none of that. They could not have a job. It would be very hard to even be with their families. The really only way that they could take care or be taken care of is if their family took care of them. And sadly, a lot of times in that culture, the families didn't. (laughs) That's just not what happened. But these blind men also clearly understood something about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. These men, I think, were very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures about the promised Savior, about the Messiah. For instance, the passage from Isaiah that Michael read from us, or read for us this morning from God's Word, said that when the Savior would come, the mute would speak. We'll get to that in a second. And the eyes of the blind would be opened. That would give hope to these men, right? Well, clearly they've heard of Jesus. So much so that they can hear these people following Jesus. So what do these blind men do? To the best of their abilities, they join in. And they start following after this Jesus. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And that led them to do something incredible. Notice this, these blind men had never seen Jesus. They'd only ever heard of Jesus. They, at this point, they may have been able to have, he- to have I can't speak. They may have been able to hear Jesus' words. We don't know for sure. But all we know for sure is that they've heard of Jesus. They'd never seen him, but they knew enough. See, what they knew was that they had a problem that they couldn't fix. They were blind, and they could do nothing about it, but they had heard of a Savior, and now they had heard of Jesus, and they believed with all of their heart that this Jesus could heal them of their blindness, and so they cried out to him. There's first off a lesson to be learned there, isn't there, church? Because for them, they knew what their problem was, so they sought the Savior, And that's where every single human has to come to grips with our Savior as well. We have to realize the need that we have. If it's not physical blindness, from the moment that we're born into this world, it's spiritual blindness. That we struggle to see our position before a holy and righteous God. And that's where it starts. We, like these two men, have to realize we have a problem that we can't fix. 
We have a sin problem that has separated us from an almighty God. And we need a Savior to fix it. But these blind men were looking for Him. (laughs) These two blind men were waiting for Jesus. They were waiting for a Savior. And as soon as they found Him, they followed Him. If there's someone in here this morning who has maybe realized that you are a sinner, I hope first off that you're seeking Him. The Bible says, seek Him while He may be found. And if you're here this morning, maybe someone dragged you here or brought you here, or you're listening to this on behalf of somebody else while you're at home, maybe you first off weren't even seeking Jesus yet, but know this, if you're here and you're hearing His words, He's seeking you. Do you think it was an accident that Jesus walked down this street with these blind men? No, Jesus never did anything on accident. These blind men knew they needed healing, and Jesus knew exactly where they were. And if that's you today, seek him while he may be found. Confess that need to him, and he will heal you. But look at what they say. We know that they believed who he was based on what they cried out to him. They said, have mercy on us, son of David. This is actually it's really cool. These are the first, um, this is the first time in the book of Matthew that anyone calls Jesus this title. The Son of David. The Promised One. The Messiah. The One who's come to ransom Israel. He's finally here. These men have believed that without ever actually being able to see Him. And what's also interesting, Jesus knows these blind men were following Him, and then they cry out for Him, Have mercy on us, Son of David. And Jesus doesn't actually stop. (laughs) Instead, He keeps going, if you notice that in the Bible. He keeps on moving, and He goes into a house. And there's probably a bit two reasons that Jesus may have done this. First off, we know that based on what He tells these men at the end, Jesus is not trying to draw a crowd for the wrong reasons. See, a lot of crowds have been gathering around Jesus because of the show that was being put on. Jesus was putting or doing some incredible miracles, healing sicknesses, raising the dead. And that will attract a crowd, but that's not what Jesus wanted. In fact, as you read through the Gospels, you notice every time almost Jesus would perform a miracle, he would end up saying something to make people leave. He would say something hard because he didn't want people to see a show. He wanted people to get saved, right? And there's another message in that, isn't there, Alex? <laughs> for, for pastors, right? For churches, we're not here to put on a show for us. We're here for people to get saved. Amen? That's a whole other sermon. I'll leave that for you another time. <laughs> but Jesus didn't want to draw people in. And when two blind men are shouting, the Messiah has come in the streets, that's going to draw a crowd. So Jesus ducks away into the house knowing that these blind men, because of their faith, are going to keep following him, and they do. They follow him into the house, and I love the question Jesus asks them. Do you believe that I am able to do this? That's a powerful question that Jesus asks these men who have never physically seen what Jesus has done. They've never actually seen Jesus perform a miracle. Maybe they've heard about it. But let's be real, especially in the kind of world we live in, we shouldn't just believe everything we hear, should we? In the age of technology, in the age of the internet, we shouldn't scroll Facebook and believe every single news thing we read that our aunt posts, should we? We shouldn't believe everything we hear. We need to back it up with facts. We need to back it up with truth. But these men, again, don't miss this. They knew who truth was. 
It's already been said in here in this service this morning that God is truth. That's who Jesus is. And these men recognize that. So Jesus says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? You might not be able to see me. You might not have been able to physically see the things that I've done, but do you believe me? Do you believe that I can do this? And their answer was just as swift. Yes, Lord. And he heals them. Once again, tenderly, Jesus reaches out. He touches these men. And suddenly, they can see again. And I love the words that Jesus also said here to them. He said, according to your faith, may it be done. Now don't get this twisted. He's not saying here that because you had so much faith, I will heal you. He's not saying that, look, if you hadn't had quite enough faith, then I would just heal you a little bit. You'd still need a prescription, you know, glasses, right? One eye is fixed. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying because you came to me with full faith, unquestioning, unwavering confidence and assurance and conviction that I am who I said I am and that I can heal you, you are healed. He's echoing these other accounts that he's just performed. Don't miss what's happened in these last sermons that have been preached here. These people that have been coming to Jesus because they didn't just show up and say, boy, I hope Jesus can heal me. They said, I have faith that Jesus can heal me. It's the kind of faith of a woman who was ostracized from her community, who was said that she was ceremonially unclean, and yet she said, if I can just touch the hem of Jesus' robe, I know that I will be healed. It's the faith of friends who dragged their friend onto a roof, lowered him down, saying, who knows when all these religious people are going to think of us when we do this, but... I know that if Jesus sees our friend, he will heal our friend. It's the faith of a ruler whose daughter had already died. And yet he goes to Jesus and says, I know that you can heal her. Now these other people, they might have had physical sight, but they'd never seen Jesus do the things that he'd done. That, I especially think of that father. If my... If, child had passed away we've never seen someone risen from the dead like that how did he know is it because he's seen that before no probably not but he knew who he was going to and he knew his lord and he knew who was master over life and death and so that wasn't a leap of faith it was assurance and that's what these blind men were doing jesus looked at them and said because of that faith you are healed. This also kind of it makes me think of what Jesus would later say to his apostle Thomas. <laughs> Do you remember the conversation Jesus had with Thomas after he rose from the dead? The other, some of the other apostles and the women had seen Jesus at this point with their eyes, and they go back and they tell the other apostles, he's, it's true, he's risen. We've seen him. And Thomas, <laughs> we should not be harsh on him because, let's be real, many of us would be the same. Right? Have you seen anyone rise from the dead? <laughs> no. And so let's not throw Thomas under the bus here. He's like, look, unless I can see him, and unless I can put my hands in the wounds, unless I can do it for myself, then I'm not going to believe it. And so Jesus appears, 
I love it, like almost immediately. Jesus is like, all right, Thomas, let's do this. And he shows up and he says something to Thomas. He says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You want to know who that is talking about? Us. We've never gotten to see Jesus. Boy, wouldn't it be nice? (laughs) And I, I... mess with my students all the time when I say this next sentence to them because they don't believe it until I show them the scripture that says it. When I think all the time, it would have been so much better for me if I could just see Jesus. But you realize that's not what Jesus said? (laughs) It's actually better that we haven't seen Jesus physically because Jesus himself said that. He told his apostles when he told them that he was going to leave, he said, it's better that I leave you Because God is going to send you something better. He's going to send His Holy Spirit to fill your hearts and to remind you of every single thing that I've said. And He will be that helper and that healer and that comforter that you need. Raise your hand in here if you've ever gone through a time of extreme trial and suffering in your life. Most of us us in here can say that. Have you physically seen and had a conversation with Jesus in your life? No. But has He brought you out of it? Do you believe that it was Jesus who brought you out of that? Yes. That kind of faith is blind faith. Not a leap of faith. Our faith should be that same faith that these blind men and these other people in these accounts had. That we don't have to physically see Jesus to see the evidence of what He's done in our lives and the lives of those around us. So that we can look at Him, look at the truth of His Word, and say, I am assured and convicted that Jesus is Lord. And then, I'm not going to actually spend a ton of time on the second part. There's just a short point I want us to get from what these men do here. It says, they were healed. Now, how would you feel if suddenly you were blind, and then now you can see, right? You're going to want to tell people about it. But once again, Jesus warned them sternly and says, hey, don't go tell everybody about this. Remember, it's not that he didn't want to know that he was the Messiah. It's that he knew it would draw the wrong kind of crowd. He said, my time has not come yet. That's what he said to his mother at that first miracle, right? My time hasn't come for all of this to be known yet. But then what do these men do? They, we know that they had true faith in Jesus, but then they got so caught up in the moment and in the emotions of what Jesus did that they actually, the first thing they do with their sight is they disobeyed Jesus. And the only thing I really want to say with that is, When we see the things that God is doing, let's not get so caught up in an emotional response that we do more than God has called us to do or told us to do in His Word. If our church decides, if God decides to bless our church and we start growing with more people, I pray that we don't fall into the temptation that a lot of churches that explode with growth might end up falling into, where we say, wow, God is growing the church, and that is a good thing. So let's start doing these things and they start coming up with ideas and plans and strategies that actually aren't about God and His glory. And hey, we need to keep people here, so let's do this kind of thing. And we start neglecting God's Word. We start disobeying Him. I pray that we never reach that point. This is a good warning for us. These men had true faith. They really did. We know that. But even they, in the moment, could disobey God when they're not careful. So let's not get all prideful when we say, man, I definitely have real faith in Jesus. We can still slip up 
We can still fall. We can still sin. But I do want us to take away from that that these men had what true faith should look like, and that's what we should have. But it's not just blind faith I want to talk about today. It's the second story that shows us not blind faith, but blind hearts. Look at the second account here, starting in verse 32. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. One of my most favorite ironic things the Pharisees ever say. What could bring these men to say something like this? Again, put yourself in the situation here. These Pharisees had been waiting for a moment to catch Jesus in the act of being a heretic, right? And so they're following Jesus too, and for them, they think this is a golden opportunity. Here comes a demon-oppressed man, and now this person is like, hey, Jesus, heal a demon-oppressed man. This is not something that any rabbi off the street could just walk up and do. This was much more difficult. So you can just imagine the Pharisees thinking, we got him. They're going to see a show here where he's going to finally reveal that he's just a heretic. He's a liar. It's finally, oh no, he did it. (laughs) Jesus heals the man, casts out the demon. Suddenly the man can speak again, continuing to fulfill that prophecy from Isaiah, right? Which, by the way, the Pharisees know. (laughs) They've memorized it. They knew what the prophecy said. And now they're stuck with a dilemma. Because unlike the blind men, who before had never gotten to see what Jesus did, these Pharisees are now left without an excuse. They have seen Jesus perform the miracle. They've seen Him fulfill these prophecies and be who He said He is. And yet, they suppress the truth. It's exactly what Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 1, verses 18-20. through 20. Paul wrote this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse." So what could make these men come to this conclusion? What could make it so that they could look at Jesus, clearly prove who He is, and say, nope, He casts out demons by the power of Satan. (laughs) What causes them to go that far is because they blind their own hearts to what is right in front of them. See, every single person now, especially, like I said, in the age of technology, in the amount of evidence that we can see for our faith, every single human is left with this choice. We either look at the evidence that's shown to us and accept it, or we have to shut it out. And this is another thing I try to tell my students all the time. Don't be afraid of the evidence. Don't be afraid of science. Because guess who created science? God. And as the more we learn about science, the more things scientists keep saying, and they try to make them sound really smart and profound. And all of us with our Bibles are like, we knew that. <laughs> like, yeah, we, we know. <laughs> we understand that. But a lot of scientists, a lot of atheists have to actually suppress 
the truth that they know. See, science itself shows us, for instance, that something cannot come out of nothing. So that's the ancient question that has to be answered. Why is there something rather than nothing? In science, atheism cannot answer that for us. There must be an answer. When you look at the way our universe is so beautifully and perfectly designed, when you look at just the way we are made, when you look at how complex the human body, even in its broken sinful state, is, it could not happen by accident. I actually love, there was an interview made with a renowned atheist named Richard Dawkins, who wrote a book called The God Delusion. So you can see what he thinks about God, right? But there's an interview with him where he actually admits that when he looks out at the cosmos and he looks at the universe, he said in his own words, it certainly seems to me that our universe was designed. His words. So he sees that truth, right? But he can't allow himself to believe in God. This is a man who made a bunch of money writing The God Delusion. So he suppresses that truth, and he actually said in the interview, so it was probably aliens. You're allowed to laugh at that. (laughs) It is silly. I don't want to make fun of a person, but we can make fun of the thought. To say that aliens came and created life as we know it. Do you see how close some of these people are? The truth is laid out in front of them. These Pharisees had the truth of who Jesus was. You want to just slap them and say, guys, he's right here. You're so close. Open your eyes. That's where so many people find themselves today. We've never had more access to the gospel than we do right now, especially here in America. And yet there's so many people that look at this book. Do you realize that there are college courses of literature courses that teach the Bible at secular universities where atheist professors get up and they have a Bible course and they teach the Bible because they recognize that it's an incredible literary work and they don't believe a word of it. They're so close. How do they do that? Because they shut their hearts. They close their eyes spiritually to the truth that God has placed before them. But before we get too judgmental, as I was tempted to do in writing this sermon, let's remember that we are tempted to do this ourselves. Maybe not with the existence of God or that Jesus is Savior, but with our own sins. So many of these sermons have come down to what true faith in Jesus looks like next to legalism and religion. And I I know that so many of us in here, myself included, may have sat in one of these sermons and thought, that's not me. I don't struggle with any of that stuff. I definitely don't struggle with judging people too harshly. I definitely don't struggle with forgiveness like Dr. Rowe talked about yesterday. I would never struggle with being legalistic with anything like that. What are we doing? We're shutting our eyes and we're blinding our hearts to the truth. May we never be so prideful that we forget who we are before a righteous God. Before we cast judgment on those Pharisees, let's do that too. And so here's where we find ourselves. If at the end of this message, at the end of this passage, and we're going to see Jesus say something really cool and do something cool next week um, of what, how he responds in a way, or doesn't respond, <laughs> to what these Pharisees said about him. 
But it leaves us with a couple questions for us this morning. For you, if first off, if you've never actually placed your faith fully in Jesus, know that He is seeking after you. And if you're here this morning, if you're listening to this, that's proof of that. You're right where God wants you, and He wants you to believe in Him. But if you do trust in Jesus, but maybe you felt like your faith has been lacking, maybe you feel like that if Jesus was going to come talk to you right now, He would talk to you like He said to His apostles on a couple occasions, Oh, you of little faith. But if that is where you are right now, you're in good company. We've all been there. I want this to be an encouragement to you. To see Jesus, remind yourself of who He truly is in all of His glory, that He is the Savior. He is the Son of David, the Son of God, come to save us from our sins. And let that fill you with assurance and confidence in who He is and what He can do in your life. But also, if there's something going on in your heart, if there are some sins that you have blinded yourself to, that you have tried to hold back and say, no, I definitely don't struggle with that, knowing full well that you do, don't stay blind to those things. Especially as we're about to go into a time of the Lord's Supper, don't hold those back. Lay those out before the Lord. Purify your hearts before Him and let Him change you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for today. We thank You.